Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of GLE. You know, we're touching 38 countries now, and engagement is rapidly growing. Actually, on Meta, my engagement was up like 60,000% in the last 28 days. And, you know, it's funny. It's I'm part of an entrepreneur group that Tony Watley started called the 365 Driven Society. And he posted something about this setting in Facebook that you can change for like an, an influencer profile. And I made that tweak and it was like the shadow ban got removed or something. And my engagement just went through the roof. But for the most part, these shows only grow by word of mouth. So if you would, if you listen, if you get value from GLE, share the show, please go follow, subscribe on all the platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and help us out. If you get value, share the show. We'd appreciate it. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He needs no introduction, but I'll give him a mini one anyway. He is my cousin, my financial advisor, and mm. he's a man of God. He's on the market, ladies, I think, maybe. Mm, that is true. I can confirm that, yeah. Uh-oh. He's on the market. He's here with some heat on your finances, so I'm really excited. This is a topic that I've had to kind of learn the hard way and do a lot of digging in and you know, lean on folks like Andrew here, Andrew Ferking joining me, and uh, I am just thrilled to have my cousin to talk about finances today. Andrew Ferking, welcome to GLE. Thank you, Cuz. I appreciate it. It's uh, I've watched the show a bunch. I know you've been going. I think we just talked about it before we hopped on three years now, um, almost coming up to that, um, which is huge. You threw out the stat that so many shows don't even last a couple episodes. Um, but honored to be on because I've I've seen all the good stuff you did. So thanks for the invite. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing me the honor of joining me. So you know, finances is one of those things that people. You know, they either tend to pay a lot of attention to it or very little attention to it, I feel. And, uh, you know, to start off, maybe you can jump in. How did you get into this world, Andrew? And uh, maybe talk a little bit about the industry overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, to your point, I mean, I think, unfortunately, it's not finance in general is not something that's talked about a lot in life. I mean, going up, going through school, um, it's not like you're taught a lot of financial wisdom. And, and even if you are, it's generally not a lot of things that carry much application outside of some basic principles, right? right. Um, a lot of times if people are taught, it's in the home, which is a great place, but then there's not even a lot of conversation around that. And I always tell a lot of people too, finance is just not a, a comfortable topic for a lot of people to talk about. I often share like, hey, when was the last time you're out of the bar getting a beer with your friends and you're just sharing like intimate secrets about your financial life, right? Um, it's just not something that, that gets a lot of light. So leaning on people to your point, having trusted resources, trusted advisors, people that you can bounce ideas off of is huge. Um, and it's just something that is so wide ranging. There's so many different aspects of it um, from the tax side to the investing side and the real estate world. And it, it can just be overwhelming. So it touches so many areas that I mean, I talk with a lot of people. It's why I have a job. It, it's overwhelming for people to deal with. Um, 
So also to answer your question, I got into it. I played football at Baylor University and majored in finance. Um, coming out of school, I didn't have this job in my in my targets. Um, I kind of wanted to get out and combine football and business somehow and kind of explored some areas with that. But um, in talking with some mentors of mine, um, they kind of put it on my radar saying, hey, obviously you have a finance degree, but because of just who you are, you're trustworthy, um, you're great with people of all ages, you're easy in conversation, which are, I would say, those are a lot of the core aspects of my job. Mm -hmm. Um, You should consider this career. And so I kind of looked into it. I honestly didn't know much about it, just getting out of college. Um, So interviewed a couple places and and landed at the company that I've been with since I started Thrivent um, Financial. And I love it. Uh, It's so great. It's a it's a great profession, like a lot of like a lot of industries. Um, it is very entrepreneurial. I mean, you start out with basically nothing and hope to build up a, a business. And if you do, it is just that. I mean, if I want right. to scale and grow as, as a company, I'm not given much. I got to hire my own people. I got to I, I am HR and marketing and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. I love work every day just because it is a people business at the end of the day. And I mean, because like we talked about previously, money is such a sensitive topic when people mm-hmm. reach out of all ages, right? I have clients that are our age, I have clients that are 50, clients that are 80. And when they come to me essentially saying, hey, I trust you enough to talk about the thing I work hard for to provide for my family and be a good steward of, that's mm-hmm. meaningful. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You said something so important. Hey, before we jump in, y'all got to go yeah. follow Andrew, follow him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Andrew Ferking, F-R-E-R-K-I-N-G, the old German Ferking. <laughs> Appreciate um, it. I got to get the follow game up. Yeah, you got you to gotta follow him. So you made a really important point about people not talking about money. Yeah. And I think this is huge because if you don't focus on things, then they don't grow. You know, if you ignore and don't talk to your wife, your marriage is probably going to die. And if you don't talk to your God and have a good prayer life, your faith life's probably going to die. And if you don't talk about or think about money, you're probably not going to be very good at it. And, you know, most people, they grow up in an environment where talking about money, it's almost like, oh, it's rude to ask people how much they make. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. I've never, I've never heard a wealthy person be afraid to share anything about money they make or finances. And, you know, for most people, at least from circles I've been in majority of my life, it was like thought of as rude, like, oh, they're bragging about how much money they make. But I, you know, I really do think that's such an important thing. Like we as leaders going out, raising families, don't be afraid to talk about money and, uh, you know, educate your family as part of your obligation, I believe even too, as the head of a household. Right. What do, what do you think about how, uh, I, I guess, in general, money concept, uh, we can be better leaders teaching the next generation about money? Yeah, I, I think that's huge. It's, it's kind of coincidental that we're talking about this last night in, in Bible study. We were actually talking about giving and money as a part of that. Right. Um, and not that money is the only thing we give. We have our, our talents and our vocations and time. But on the money side, I mean, biblically where money is warned about how it can cause a lot of problems um and you're gonna have problems even if you don't have money and wealth but uh money can just add more things and so 
But like you said, if you don't talk about it, if you don't seek advice, if you don't share, um, that's not a recipe for success. And so I think absolutely, as you learn and knowing what we talked about before, that for so many people, young people and older people alike, it's not a comfortable topic. People aren't educated um, and the conversations aren't being had elsewhere. I think we do have a, it, from a stewardship perspective, just educating, especially once you have a family and kids training the next generation, passing along principles, wisdom, failures too, right? Um, and I've seen that from my dad and, and other people that I've talked to saying, hey, look, here are things that I wish I would have done when I was your age, right? Here are things that I did wrong that looking back on it could have made a big difference. That's that's right. big too. 100%. I love that. Lessons learned, man. Hey, I do want to share a Bible verse that is one of my favorite verses when it comes to finance, just to put this topic in perspective for our audience. Cause you know, oftentimes yeah. when you really hone in on money, everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, money's not the most important thing or, or, right. uh, you know, you love of money is the root of all evil and all this stuff. But Matthew six, I, I think lays it out really well. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So I just want you to keep that verse in mind, not you, but the audience as we, I know you keep it in mind. I need to keep it in mind too. Yeah. 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 But you know, Money is not the most important thing, but it's important for what it's important for. And we as good stewards, you know, we are we are being uh, the uh, good and faithful servants, the stewards of what's been given to us. And one of those things is the money, is the resources, is the commodities, is the, you know, the real estate, is all the all the things put in our stead, our families. And, you know, money's a big piece of that. And you can't really help anybody if, if you can't help yourself and, um, yeah. and take care of your family. So a really important yeah. thing. And to that, just to touch on that, I love that you shared that. And one of the reasons why, and this is why I love my job so much. So obviously we talked about it being a believer, um, and, and what I believe about the Christian faith, but also God's word mm-hmm. viewing money or anything, you have a different perspective on it than a lot of people. Um, right. and one of the things that's cool for me and how I run my business, but also, having the support of the company that I work for is I can share biblical principles just like that around money, which is fantastic. Um, and one of the things um, that I often share, which is so important, and, and you hit on it with that passage from Matthew, and it's mentioned elsewhere, money in and of itself isn't a problem. You look at the condition of the heart, right? So the love of money is not the root of all evil, the love of money. And one right. of the problems you see with money Um, money can often be like a magnifying glass that shows you a lot of other problems you have. And as you acquire it, I'll never forget my dad, and it probably came from our grandfather too, but he says one of the things that Christians pray the most but mean the least is give us this day our daily bread, Mm -hmm. right? We say it, but we always want a little extra bread. We want some in the storehouse so that we're comfortable. We want some for retirement down the road, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, that in and of itself is not bad, but you ask the question, why? And what it can reveal is if you are ultimately looking at money for any sort of security and ultimately trusting in that or fearing or loving that more than God, going mm-hmm. back to the first commandment, that's right. when you're out of whack and that's when you have problems. And it's tough, right? You fight the flesh, you fight everything the world tells you to go acquire so much. It, you fight against it all day. 
And on the flip side, even if you work and, and you do all this stuff, there, there's not a guarantee. Everything, when you view it from a stewardship perspective, all we have is a gift. So if we mm-hmm. never acquire all that, and if we just live in a worldly sense at kind of not a poverty level, but just getting by and taking care, that's mm-hmm. okay too. Praise be to God, right? We're right. no more or less blessed because of that. I love that. That's awesome, Andrew. Great biblical perspective. And I, I love that uh, you love to share it. What is the concept of a financial advisor? I know we were talking about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks. How do you, yeah. how do you view a financial advisor and how should one leverage a, a financial advisor to help with their finances? Yeah, great question. I We talked about this a couple of times because you did a, a post about this the other day. And one of the things, so a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I think it's a huge role. And for we've talked about a lot of the reasons why, because a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about money. Quite frankly, a lot of times I'll meet with couples and, and not couples that are just starting out, but couples that are getting close to retirement. And mm-hmm. many of the first conversations they've ever really substantively had about money and finances is with me, wow. which for me is kind of cool. But yeah. it's just not something that people are talking about a lot. We've sure. had that conversation. Uh, but one of the things that I've been very cognizant of, and I actually worked recently, I'll give a shout out to there's a girl, Alex Radford here um, in Atlanta. She runs a great marketing and branding agency. Um, and her and her team actually last year, me and my business partner, Mike, we were just talking about how, and this is going to sound very uh, it's going to sound dumb, honestly, but a lot of times when somebody would ask me simply, Hey, what do you do? Right. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable answering that question. And the reason why is because so many times when somebody says, Hey, I'm a financial advisor, I'm a financial planner or whatever. There's a stigma that comes with that about what you do, right? right? Because so many advisors, so many people in the financial world, it can often be a similar experience where you go, Right. And what that ultimately comes down to is a lot of the value tied to advisors most places. The value is tied to any of the products or services or resources that they can provide, right? Be that on the investment side and managing money, being that at a, at a brokerage house where you're picking stocks, be that on the insurance side, insurance products, annuities, everything. Mm-hmm. So none of those are in and are bad in and of them, themselves, right? right? We have a lot of those same products and solutions. They're great. But... I, I always just wrestled with that my, I love helping people, right? That's one of the coolest parts of the job. Mm-hmm. And I don't love the idea that let's say you come to me and you don't have any of those needs immediately. Well, I still want to be able to help you. And I want my value to be tied to something outside of that. Now, if you have a need for any of those things, absolutely, we can help service it. And I would love to be a trusted source of advice for that. But what that means is we've tried to create a different experience here. And what the the that marketing team that I told you about, they essentially kind of helped us craft language to answer that question passionately, but to create a different experience to say, my my biggest resource, and to your question, what is the role of a good advisor, I would say, is mm-hmm. to be a source of great ideas, to be a source of great strategies, to be a trusted source that you can come to with questions across the financial spectrum. And it's a wide spectrum, right? It could go all the way from paying off debt and budgeting to buying a house, to investing for retirement and saving Mm -hmm. for college and taxes and all these things, right? But to be a trusted source of guidance. And ultimately, I don't have all the answers, right? I'm learning every day. And even when I'm, God willing, 60 doing this job, I'm still Mm -hmm. not going to have all the answers. 
But what we've also tried to create is this kind of concierge network to say, hey, I have trusted advisors of my own that if you have a tax question, you have your own job, your own family, your own time. You're leaning on me. Let me go to my network and help figure out this problem and present you with a couple of ways to attack it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is how we've tried to create kind of a different experience than most people have when they go to a lot of advisors. And that's not enough. Right. Any of these products and solutions. Yeah, they can be bad. They can be good. None of those are bad in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. But we always just wrestled with the idea that our value is only tied to, hey, if you have an insurance need, great, I can fill it. If not, well, you know, we'll talk in three years, right? right hey, right. you, have, you have, it's time to roll over your 401k, great, I can help with that. But in between, uh, sorry, call me if you need anything. Right. I love that I have clients that they don't have a product with us, they don't have money that we manage, and they just pay us for our time, our, mm-hmm. our holding them accountable to a plan, goal mm-hmm. development, and then ultimately just presenting strategies and ideas. So. Right. I love that. I love the presenting strategies concept. It's it's uh you're a resource to help think up and and present those strategies so we can look at like a holistic view of someone's finances. I'm curious like you mentioned trying to meet people's needs. How do you approach figuring out what people need or don't need? And I kind of base this on the mentality of most people are really good at sort of the first, I, I kind of see money management in like three ways. There's, you got to have cash flow of some kind, whether it's active yeah. or passive. Most people are yeah. pretty decent at that one. They can work a job and have some cash flow coming in to cover their bills. And right. then, you know, the second part is really, how do I get the money to have sex and make money babies? You know, like <laughs> how do I get my money to reproduce itself? Yeah. Right. The investing side. And then the third one is really, how do I keep my money? Or not necessarily keep it like I'm hoarding it away for a rainy day per se, but how do I wisely leverage the tools at my disposal to maximize the long-term value of my money and be wise enough to create a legacy for my children's children's children while I'm at it. So, so how do I keep my money that, you know, I kind of think about those three ways. And and I, when we first met, you kind of took me through an exercise. I'm just curious, is that still kind of the approach you take of looking at kind of the overall picture? Yeah, for sure. Um, and we always kind of look at anybody, like I said, I have clients across the spectrum. So a variety of needs and goals that they have, but there are always, you know, one of the things I always share is, you know, when I stand up and talk to a group of people, just introduce myself or trying to give some pearls of wisdom, it's really hard to give broad advice, at least for me in, in the industry, just because I give advice to Phil and Eunice, right? And Bill right. and Susan. I don't, I don't give a lot of broad advice. Now, by saying that, when you talk about laying in one of the places we always start, even if you come to me and you have a a decent amount of money, right? A solid net worth. I'm always going to try to kind of do a foundational check, right? Because under the hood, there are people that make good money and even at worth, but you can still have problems that if they aren't addressed, I mean, never hope for the worst. But you want to make sure, and I, I work with a number of realtors, so I always use this analogy and they like it. Like mm-hmm. when you build a house, um, everybody walks in and they want to talk about, oh, Phil, your kitchen is great, right? Oh, look at that pool in the backyard, the master bedroom. Oh, the incredible. But underneath, you start laying the foundation and you start with the plumbing and the piping and the electrical, right? And if those problems go bad, 
you can have pretty significant expensive problems down the road if you don't start laying a solid foundation. And all those things aren't the sexiest things to talk about. But that's why when we start, we always lay that foundation and a huge part of that that is not addressed. And this kind of goes back to just the educational side and, and people talking about money and being comfortable with it is the behavioral side of finance. And right. so much of building wealth and having success with money is behavioral. It is not as much tactical as people think. And what I mean by that is, it's just, I believe some of it is is biblical on how we think about it from a stewardship perspective. Right. And it's certainly giving and viewing things, what we have as a gift as a part of that. But also as we think about money, do we have a consumption mentality or do we have a a saving and, and investing and building wealth mentality. As money comes in, do we see it as something as, oh, I have to spend and do these things. And then mm -hmm. if there's some left over, I'll give and I'll invest and I'll save. Or is it the opposite of that? Is it I'm going right. to consistently, no matter what, set it aside? And there's a balance because in the reality is, I mean, for many people, there isn't a ton of surplus. And that's where, you know, hopefully we talk about even on top of your job, you're, you're building passive income streams and things outside of that and money's working while you're asleep. And that's great. And, and hopefully a lot of people do that. But you have to have a good behavior because if you don't and you have a right. consumption mentality, that can lead to a lot of problems. And so checking that kind of to get back to your question is where we start making right. sure you have a good foundation, minimizing, you know, the wrong kinds of debt making sure you have, you know, some emergency reserves, making sure like from a cash flow perspective, you're good, making sure you're taking advantage of, you know, protecting yourself insurance wise with all the things, making sure you have a will and, and all that stuff. But once you do that, you kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, you can check the box. We have a solid foundation, you know, go, go back, check it every year or two, make sure you're doing okay. But yeah, that's kind of the order of operations because everybody wants to come in and they want to talk about, hey, what's the stock that I should pick? Hey, I want to get into real estate. I want to, everybody wants yeah. to talk about that because that's the fun stuff. Should I buy Dogecoin or Bitcoin, <laughs> Andrew? I'm just kidding. Yes, all all um, the coins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. All of them. Is the, yeah, exactly. Um, so such good mindset, Andrew, you, you mentioned the uh, uh, term called net worth. And it's funny because I, I imagine most people, probably have no idea one what their net worth is and Correct. two they probably have no clear picture of their income statement their income and expenses going in and out right and, you know i i love what you said about just that there's like foundational things that like before we can even start talking about doing some reasonably smart things with money you know, you, you really need to just get the behavior. You need to understand what the behaviors are one. Yeah. And until you actually have a picture of what's going on currently, it's, it's hard to even give someone advice. Cause it's like, it I don't is, even know right. what you're doing. I don't even know what you're doing right, right now. Right. right. Well, that's why when we do financial plans and, and walk people through that, you're, you're really level setting and saying, all right, I need, I need a whole picture. I need a broad view. Uh, I don't know where to tell you what we're going to do or where we're going to go if I don't know where we're starting from. Right. 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 Um, and so doing that is revealing. One of my favorite things is for people, you know, whether they make 150,000 or 700,000, like sometimes just walking through a cash flow and kind of a basic budget, which most people, I'm not a, because you'll, you'll hear this a lot. I'm not like a track every $3 and 18 cents you spend at Starbucks kind of guy. <laughs> right. But yeah. in general, I need you to know how much is coming in and, and how it's going out, 
right? And hopefully that number is positive when we do that. But ultimately, people often walk in with a feeling one way or the other about their money. They either feel bad or they feel good. Right. Um, and especially when it comes to cash flow, they either feel like they're really positive um, right. or they feel like they're not. But doing that, that that has no opinion, right? We're going to put numbers on paper and that's going to tell us. So mm -hmm. then we can say, all right, your feelings might be one way, but you know the paper is showing us something else. So right. reconcile that for me. Tell me where the gap is. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, similarly with the net worth, one of my favorite things with that, is, that's kind of a term that most people probably have heard of. A lot of people might not even know exactly what it is or kind of how to calculate it and think about it, but most likely not exactly what their net worth is. But one of the coolest things for me, kind of from the educational side, and, you know, I have, I still coach a little bit on the side. And so kind of from the coaching background, I love coaching in my job once again, because it, things aren't talked about a lot. So a lot of what I do is teaching and coaching and educating. And I love when people sit in my office and I'm on the whiteboard and I can introduce a term like net worth or Roth mm -hmm. IRA or something that to me, I talk about it every day. And a lot of people have heard of it. But mm -hmm. for the first time, they're like, oh, I've heard that for 15 years, but I didn't really know what it was. Right. And then they walk out and they're like, oh, that makes total sense now. Like, yeah. I love that part of the job. And it's and I don't and this is one of the things, too. I've heard this when we go back to a similar experience that a lot of advisors create for clients. I I've heard a lot of advisors, they kind of talk in big words. They'll talk over your head a lot. Things don't make sense. Right. You could sit in a meeting every six months or a year. And you don't really even know what's going on with your money. You kind of get a quarterly report and they talk through some numbers. One of the things I love doing is I don't need you to know exactly the inner details of everything that you're doing because that's part of my job and there's just a lot of stuff. But in general, I want you to know that here's what your money is doing for you. Here's kind of how it works. And when right. you walk out, I want you to have an awareness so that you feel comfortable and you're confident about it. I love that. I absolutely love that. So I don't know where you're buying coffees, but mine are like double what yours are. Coffee. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I need some three dollar coffees down here in Houston, man. What's going on? Uh, you mentioned the the behave like the finance terms. That was something that used to be super overwhelming for me, and I I heard a, a mindset on it recently that it, it may sound a little aggressive, but I thought it was really interesting. Um, slave owners didn't teach their slaves how to read. And yeah. we're not taught finances in government schools for a reason because yeah. they don't want us educated on finances yeah. or they would teach yeah. us. And it's the yeah. same with like, you know, if you, if you get in trouble or, or have problems or, or deal in business and anything in life yeah. and it goes before a, a court of law, they don't use Webster's dictionary. <laughs> they use Black's yeah. Law or a legal dictionary because that's what right. the words actually mean in what actually matters in right. this legal society. But they don't right. they don't teach you that. You got to go to law school and become a lawyer or a judge or whatever. Right. And so, you know, I just think that's a really important mindset for people is like it, it's up to you to go learn this stuff. Nobody's right. going to come and spoon feed this to you. And and right. like you just said, Andrew, like you sit down with people and you explain it for a minute. You know, nice, nice folks like you will actually explain it to people. Thank God. Yeah. And you explain it and they go, oh, that's what it means. OK, I get it. So it's not right. like it's not like rocket science stuff. No. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's just different words mean different things. And once you know what they mean, then then you can function. But if you don't know the rules of the game, you can't play. That's right. Yeah. Right. 100 percent. 
and we're not taught it like you said and, and going back to kind of the school thing yeah and then even, even as you go through college i mean there's kind of a, a similar trend that you, you go through college you get a degree you go out you work a job whatever the job may be you're sitting at a desk it could be blue collar construction whatever and mm-hmm. you do that um you know for for a long time and then you retire you contribute to a 401k you do all that stuff and there's kind of a consistent trend of the way things are to go mm-hmm. and look it, at the end of the day you know in between there if if you're happy if you're a god-fearing family if you're raising kids in god's word i mean you're not wrong doing that but if you have ideas of, of building wealth um and you know to your podcast leadership and and doing things that those things are not taught and that is kind of a foreign thing that is something you absolutely have to get out and learn and experience and kind of open your eyes because the the traditional way that most people would say that you do that it's it's not going to work you have to figure out a different way to Mm -hmm. earn money to have money work for you um, to build that freedom that you aren't beholden to any any Mm -hmm. company or any whatever um right so that is absolutely kind of a foreign concept I'll I'll take that one step further, Andrew, and I, I'm going to challenge a comment you made because I've I've changed yeah. my perspective on this recently because yeah. I, I love the story of the three um uh, was the three uh, servants or whatever in the Bible and and you know the ones given a talent and the ones given you know they're all given a talent I think yeah. parable of the talents right and the yeah. one puts his in the ground the other you know like five uh, x's it and the other ten x's it. Right. And then, you know, the master comes back and, you know, he gives the one who turned one into 10 gets more. The one who turned one into five gets more. And the one who put it in the ground gets cast away into utter darkness. Yeah. Right. So if we aren't good stewards of, and this is the whole, the concept is none of this is ours. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't own anything. And and that kind of gets into trust law, which we can, we can talk a little bit about trust because <laughs> I've been digging into those recently, but we're entrusted, right? God, God entrusted mankind with the earth. So we are, we are to be good stewards of what he's given us. And if we ignore some of the things he's given us, like our finances, I, I think that uh, that's a problem that uh parable can be applied more broadly than finances. Yeah, And it's not oh, just sure. about talents, but, I, I really believe that. And and for a long time, I thought, you know, it's okay. You know, if people don't want to care about that or whatever and just ignore it and, you know, be broke, that's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's fine. I don't know. Do you, do you see where I'm kind of where yeah, I'm so going? I would, no, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Um, I would kind of create two different classes, right? Uh-huh. So I think, and I'll break it out to, it, it's going to be kind of crude, but just kind of that basic class like i said where let's say no matter how much money you're making within reason but you have a a good job good family you're taking care of them you're paying your bills you're saving 401k roth ira separate account you're fun you're managing debt wisely right Um, but you're not taking the step to say hey i want to go out like create passive income for myself build an empire right that worth i got i think no matter what anybody no matter whether you think you have a little or a lot, yes, we are to called to be good stewards in a variety of ways, including our money and including right. in that our vocations that we have, our talents that we have, right? So right. those who are leaders, yeah, you you have that is a vocation that you have. When you're a husband, when you're a family, mm-hmm. um, when you're you have your job, at when you're a church, you're a friend, 
yeah, you're you're entrusted with all those and you're a good steward and of our time because we all have the same 24 hours in the day and right. we all have a certain amount of time the Lord has given us on this earth and we're we're to be good stewards of that. So no matter what, yes. Um, but when we talk about those who have a desire, and that's where I don't I don't think it is wrong for if you have that, if you are aiming to be a good steward of your money, but you don't have the desire or maybe the time, right? You feel like you don't have the time to put in to kind of take that next step to really, you know, take on freedom, take on a risk as an entrepreneur and a business sure. owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that that is wrong in and of itself. I but agree. hundred percent. If you want to do that, yeah, yeah. that is where you have to fill the gap to get the knowledge and the experience. And because that's not taught, that's not something that you just know. I love it. Yeah. You're right on. I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Um, so before we jump into some of these, uh, I guess we'll call them uh, specific, more specific concepts of finances. Yeah. I want to just kind of overview maybe some baseline steps for people, some things I'd recommend and I, you know, want to see if you'd agree or, or add anything. One, I think if, if you haven't already, you need to have baseline an income statement and a balance sheet, which is essentially yeah. just, you know, your income and expenses, what's coming yeah. in and what's going out and you know, your assets and liabilities. And, and you yep. have a clear picture of that. And if you have that, you really have a lot to go off of. Yeah. There's obviously a lot, a lot more components, but you know, baseline, if you haven't done that, I highly recommend going and doing that step. What else would you add on top of that, Andrew? It's like just kind of base level, like you want to, you want to basically start where, where do the yeah. people start? That is huge. What you just said is huge, especially the, the, the net worth position. So when we talk about that net worth, assets that you own, right? And that you have accounts, investment accounts, cash, you know, real estate, if you have that, the value of that, but then subtract out any liabilities that you have. So debts, credit cards, loans, mortgages, all those things. That'll give you a net worth position. So that's good to know. But more practical day to day certainly mm-hmm. is the cash flow and the budget and knowing how much is coming in when you're paid on a on a biweekly, on a monthly basis, and then how much is going out and where it's going once you take out the rent and the food and the insurance and the car and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that number is positive, meaning more is coming in than going out. Hopefully. And, if it's not, and if it's not, that can be revealing. And maybe going yeah. back to what I said, you might have feelings going in one way or the other. Right. Um, you might say, oh, I have a great job and I, I think I should have all this money, but it's not going somewhere. Well, if you actually add it up and do the exercise, it's going to tell you. And you might not like the answer, but it's going to tell you where you sit. So that is the biggest thing, um, just to kind of fill that gap. But when you get to the foundational stuff, certainly, you know, kind of planning for the rainy day. So making sure you have some some cash that's liquid and accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hear the term like at least three months, you know, if you lose your job, God forbid, and up to six months is fine. But then also having cash at your disposal, depending on how much you build up to, once we take the next step, to invest and in, in the, to do things with. And then... Um, making sure you're managing debt, right? We'll probably, we might talk about debt, but I'm not an anti-debt guy. Debt is, can be good. It can be bad if you have the wrong kinds of debt. If you're living outside of your means on credit cards and spending money you don't have, that's not as good as using debt or instruments to leverage wealth to build assets for yourself, two very Mm -hmm. different things. So anti the wrong kinds of debt. Um, And then making sure that you know, risks that you can't take on and cash flow and afford are protected. So making sure, mm-hmm. obviously, health insurance coverage, 
life, disability, if you need it, auto, home, property, all those things. Those are important and making sure you're covered adequately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some kind of estate planning stuff that you talked about, having right. a will, having you know a trust, if that's applicable, all those things. Right. Uh, but you kind of get to a point. That's not something you know you need to do all the time, but you should generally know what's going on. Fill gaps if there's gaps to be filled. And then you can kind of check a box and say, hey, we've, we've laid a really good foundation. Now, how do we want to build the house? How do we, where do we, how do we want the rooms to look? How do, and that right. kind of gets uh, the investing and the saving and building wealth thing. I love that. And this, this is why it's so important, folks, to build a relationship with a financial advisor or somebody in your life who you can lean on for financial advice, who you trust to share your finances with. And um, if you don't have one, Andrew's a great one. Go follow him. And uh, reach out to him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Andrew Ferking, F-R-E-R-K-I-N-G. can personally vouch for the guy and his character. Mm. And uh, I use him personally. He's helped me out. And don't get overwhelmed with all this stuff if, you, if you're new to some of this stuff. Because this isn't like you got to learn everything tomorrow and put everything in place in the next week or the whole world's going to fall apart, right? Yeah. You've, you've lasted up until today. So I think, you know, I think yeah. it'll be all right for another year or two, hopefully. Yeah. Right? Like you know, take, just start taking steps and sitting down with a financial advisor. Like Andrew's a really good first step just to say, okay, let's do this step over the next month. And then maybe we can meet in a month or two. And well, and let, the me, next step, let me just right? say one point. You, you yeah. use this term when you say just sitting down. I love that term because most, like I said, we've talked about talking about money is not a common thing and it's not comfortable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I really strive to do, I've had this conversation twice today with people who hopefully will be clients, but there is kind of a stigma that when you go in for to in a meeting with a financial advisor, it's like going to the doctor and it's something you don't, or the dentist, right? It's not something you really look forward to in your life. Right. Honestly, honestly, if you want to know something, that is why since I've gotten in the, in the business, when I first came on, you know, people that were kind of my boss, technically, even though I don't really have a boss, they're kind of, as you come on, they're making sure you can do the job Mm -hmm. and they're tracking as they would call them appointments. Right. Mm -hmm. I have, I have purposefully not used that term since I got in the business, because to me, everything I make an appointment for is usually something that I don't want to do. And it's something that I'll cancel. Right. So it could be going to the dentist. It could be going to the doctor. It could be going to do my oil change, right? Mm-hmm. I'll cancel that because it's something like, man, I really don't want to go and do that. However, <laughs> anything I schedule that's a meeting, that's collaborative. And that's something right. that hopefully I'm looking forward to. And so to that point, I, 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 people come up in my office or when I meet them and their guard is up. And I try to soften that and say, look, this is not a one-way street. This is collaborative and I want this to be comfortable. And if that takes, hey, listen, we're going to meet and get coffee and play golf and dinner. And I'm, I'm going to get to know your kids to break down those barriers. That might be a long-term time frame because trust and confidence is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about to, to people out there finding a financial advisor, if there is somebody that you trust, obviously you want somebody competent at the job too. That's, that's a good quality, yeah, but that you trust out there. And even there is kind of a stigma that I don't want to do business with somebody in my family or somebody that's a close friend. Honestly, I, to me, and everybody's different, I've never really gotten that because those are the people that I already love and trust and care about, right? So honestly, if there's anybody that I'm going to open up to, it's those people. Like, I don't even, I don't want to open up. He could be the best financial advisor, 
But if I don't really know them, I'm probably not going to be as likely to talk to them or want to talk to them. Right. So if there is somebody that you know already like that, like you said, just sit down and have a conversation. Go get a cup of coffee. Say, hey, tell me more about what you do. You can share some. You don't have to disclose everything right away. But start to build that confidence and that trust because that's ultimately what you want. You want it to be something that you look forward to and is comfortable. Right. And something I'll say, you know, Andrew, have I listened? Well, I've listened, but have I done everything you've suggested to me? No. Yeah. Have I come even close to doing that? Mm, no. You know, done some things, but no. Yeah. But I mean, you've given me some really good ideas that I have yeah. implemented and you've yeah. given me some other good ideas that, you know, I've just decided that I'm not ready to implement or right. not going to implement at all because I want to do other right. things. Right. And right. so, you know, don't feel the pressure even too that like, just cause you're spending time with, with, uh, an advisor that, you know, you're going to have to do the stuff or like, don't, don't feel like right. some weird pressure, right? They're, they're right. there to advise you. You're the decision maker. I will say some, there are some that you might get the pressure, right? And that's another right. stigma in the industry that, Hey, if I go meet with Andrew, he's going to try to sell me something. He's going right. to, that, that is absolutely a real thing. And it's something that I, I, because I know that, and that's one, that's another reason a lot of people's guards are up when they have the conversation. Sure. I try to fight that. And certainly I like to think I'm not that guy. Um, but to be able to come and just say, what, what are you wrestling with? What are questions that you have? Um, and then I'm coming in saying, Hey, here are gaps that I see. And I'm just telling you, right. I'm just kind of the, the indifferent person saying, Hey, for you, Phil, I think these would be some good things, whether mm -hmm. or not you do them. I mean, I'm not going to take offense to that. So, so one of the first things we talked about when we met years ago was tax strategies, and you know, you got your tax deferred accounts, and you got, you know, your, your Roth IRAs, which are like tax now and then no tax later, and then you've got yep. like insurance vehicles, which help you avoid tax after you die and stuff like yep. that, or or even later in, in in your retirement years, you can potentially yep. avoid tax. Um, let's talk about like savings vehicles and insurance. Cause I think these are two, which, you know, a lot of financial advisors are just peddling insurance products, some of which are bad. Yeah. And you got the Dave Ramsey's of the world who, you know, just totally against whole life. Cause it's terrible. And I'll admit 99% of the whole life policies I've seen structured probably aren't the best option if you want insurance and that's what you're looking for. Right. So, you know, yeah. what, what is savings versus insurance and, you know, how should we think about term and whole life and UL and universal life and all this stuff? Yeah. So, um, going back to our buddy Dave, like you talked about, and this kind of goes to the general wisdom. That's a common thing that I hear a lot. Um, especially being down here in the, in the South, there's, there's a lot of Dave Ramsey people. There's a lot of Clark Howard people, Susie Orman, um, and that's all you hear a lot of that conventional wisdom and the response that I always give when they say like, oh, I've heard, you know, whole life is bad. I say for who like that. It, it could be the best thing for me. It could be the worst thing for Phil. Right. And right. so it just depends on what is the goal you're trying to accomplish? What is the strategy we're trying to do? And then what product or solution is best? And that is where, yeah, there are some you know strategies and solutions that get bad names in the industry. And a lot of times it's because they get placed or implemented with people that don't need them. And that's bad. But mm -hmm. for the right person and using it the right way, it could be incredible. It could be generational. Um, so when you think about that, like to the insurance point, um, 
the term insurance is is there for more coverage, right? You are protecting a risk, especially in your early years. Um, when you get out, you start a family, right? You have kids. You hopefully have all these goals, right? You have mouths to feed. Um, you have an income. You're saving maybe into a 401k, Roth IRA, doing all this stuff. And you're like, hey, you know, we want to save for a child's wedding. We want to send kids to college. We want to retire in 30 years. And then if a year from now you get hit by a bus or, you know, you get some disease or whatever, you die. Well, now you still hopefully you might want all those goals to be achieved. And obviously your family is now out the income that you were otherwise earning. So right. that's where if you add that up, you can get to a pretty big number. Like I'll say from a risk standpoint, going back to laying a foundation on the term side, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I have 200,000 at, at work. They give me one, two times salary. That's enough. And it's not an insignificant amount, but when you start adding up those things and you think, okay, if I die, now my surviving spouse and children, they have two years worth of income to live off of. That's right. actually not a lot. So that's where you can easily get to like a 10, 15, 20 times salary right. number for people. And so the reason term is good is that'll always be the cheapest insurance for the most leverage, right? So you're going to pay the least, get the most leverage. Um, the downside is it's only good for a term. So it's good for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long you choose. Mm -hmm. um, and you are purely just renting. I mean, in the, in the kind of the simplest sense, you're taking a bet that you're going to die at some point in that time frame. The insurance company is taking a bet that you're not going to die. And right. if you don't die, you spend all those monthly and annual premiums. And if you did die, then you definitely won and your family gets $2 million tax free, which right. is that part's good. But so that's the term. So you're just buying, you're basically just buying insurance and there's no cash value. You're just no paying cash. for there's no that. Benefit. There is no benefit other than if you die, right. money gets paid out to your beneficiaries. Right. That's an interesting thing to think about, right? You're, you're betting you're going to die and the insurance company's yeah. betting you're not. I mean, I don't, I don't usually use that as a selling point. That's not the most attractive <laughs> thing to say, but it's true though. It's, it's a, it's kind of a true way to think about it. Yeah. So, and that's on that side. So as you enter into kind of the permanent space or any cash value type policy, um, once you get there, you're just saying, what is the use? And so, there's a lot of different reasons you might use it. There's a lot of different types of policies and a lot of different ways to structure them. Um, so that's where it just it's it's a more thoughtful conversation, right? At some level, I think everybody needs some insurance and and usually some term insurance because you do the coverage. And honestly, one of the ways I try to structure it, just because you could have, you know, a million dollar, two million dollar whole life universal life type policy that'll be pretty expensive. And if you want to use it really efficiently, you're going to have to fund the heck out of it. Um, but a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, all right, Phil, if you need $2 million of insurance, let's try to cover most of that with term. Um, and we'll have a conversation, right? Because like, you know, we've talked about, and I talk about with clients, when you realize that on the term, you're getting no value outside of you dying, well, maybe you want most of those dollars to go somewhere that they're working for you. So we have, everybody's different, but let's mm -hmm. cover a lot of that as cheaply as possible and feel good. Check that box. Like, Hey, my family is, is covered. Now let's talk about this other vehicle that we're, yes, it's insurance. So if you die, it's always going to pay out the death benefit still, mm -hmm. but are there more strategic ways to use this that might accomplish other financial goals in our lives? And so right. that's where there, there is benefit other than just you dying, where mm -hmm. you can access the cash value, uh, which is your money, as long as you're alive. Um, you can access a variety of ways that can grow and work for you as you put money in. And that's just kind of a more, outside the box topic. And you'd be surprised, I mean, because you've educated yourself on this a lot over the years, but this is a foreign common 
uh, foreign thing to a lot of people right. uh, because every single other type of insurance, right? Health insurance, auto insurance, you know, home insurance, you are only waiting for that event, right? The tree falls on your house, you get in a car accident. Outside of that happening, there is no value to you to have the policy. You are right. simply, like we said before, on the on the auto insurance, you have to have that. But you are betting that you're going to have a wreck and the company is going to cover some expenses for that. And the insurance company is taking your money to offload that risk. Right. So when you get into the permanent insurance world, it's just a little bit different way of thinking. Right. You know, I, it's really good perspective on the different types of insurance. I, um, if you think about the like the whole life side of things and you may have heard the term like infinite banking and and uh, this whole concept right like i think uh you know there's lots of different like you said there's like an an infinite number of ways to structure these policies right and so yep. depending yep. on what you're trying to do these policies could look a bazillion different ways but i think it's it's good perspective to know and um if you're not aware you know like banks for example when you take out a mortgage Right. And banks aren't stupid. They, they know money pretty well. Right. That's like, yeah. that's like what they do. Kind of their business. Yeah. So like if I wanted to take out a mortgage along the coastline of the U S you know, banks would probably do that. They probably give me a 30 year mortgage. Right. Yep. So, you know, that's one of the ways that, that we can kind of know that the whole climate change, global warming thing is a total scam because yeah. there's no way that that bank would give you a 30 year note on a property if they yeah. thought it was going to get swallowed up by the ocean in the next 30 years. Right. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good risk management by them for sure. Right. And so most people don't know this, but banks are actually one of, if not the largest holders of life insurance Huge. and yeah. they, they take out life insurance. This is why there's all these vice presidents at all these little bank branches. Cause they yeah. all are, are fiduciaries for the bank. And that bank takes a life insurance policy out on every one of them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. only only pays out a small portion of it if something happens to that fiduciary, yeah. and they keep the rest, right? Yes. So sure. you know that most people don't know this. So you know everyone's like, you hear the Dave Ramsey say, "Oh, infinite banking's stupid and whole life's trash," and it's like, yeah, what are you well, like? So, these banks aren't so, dumb, Dave. They're not. They're not. Um, and that's once again for who, right? And so I'll right. say, if you are, if you are just kind of starting out. Um, and if you're at a spot where, like like the conversation we talked about before, you're making solid money, but not blowing it out of the water, you're taking care of your family and providing for them, I would say I the need is more important than kind of the want and the wealth building from that standpoint. So absolutely, right. like day one, if we're going to do one of the two, make yeah. sure your family's covered and you have enough insurance and you're usually going to look at doing that for as cheaply as possible. Right. So get term, get a 20, 30 year term policy for a million, right. two million, three million dollars. Yes. Right. Which but I if have. You want to want to take the if you want to take the next step, um, then that's where I would disagree with Dave and say, well, it, it's not that that's not true for everybody, right? The guy mm -hmm. that's worth a hundred million dollars, he has different problems than the guy right. that's worth twenty thousand, right? Hundred right. percent. So, would you consider whole life like? Because I think of it as a savings vehicle. Like to me, it's just a way better savings account than anything I'm going to get at the bank. Is that a good yeah. way to think about it or no? It can be. So now I will say this is kind of timely. Now with the increase in interest rates, um, you're getting a lot better stuff at the bank. So, um, but yes, I mean, a certain, especially over the past six years, 
yeah, if you structure it right, it can be good. But you also look at it, um, and this kind of gets into the reasons why you might use whole life, but not only that you can take money out tax efficiently. So just as an overview from the, the permanent life insurance side, you're going to put money in and there's still a cost to insurance. So there, if you put $1,000 in right each month, there's going to be a cost. So all $1,000 isn't going to go into your account. They're going to take the monthly charges out for the insurance that it costs to insure your life because they are still going to pay out a death benefit. If you died the next day, you're going to get 250000 or however right. the policy is because you're beneficiaries. Um, but once they take those deductions out, hopefully you're putting more in um, than the, is the minimum. And that's where all that cash, as it builds up, it grows different ways. It's flexible in different ways. And then as that builds up over time, this isn't like a day one thing where you start out and then six months from now you go back to it and it's like, hey, I'm going to have 25000 in there to go do stuff. This takes time to build up. Um, but as, it, as that happens over time, that money is yours to access just like it's at the bank. But the benefit is hopefully there's growth over time. So you put in 100000 and then with the growth, it's now 150000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, as you take it out, when you structure it right, it'll be tax-free. So you can take it out or, and this is you use the concept infinite banking and the be your own bank is, is how it gets talked about sometimes. Right. Um, you can also loan the money to yourself and be your own bank in that sense. So as you want to invest or start a business or buy a franchise or buy real estate or something, there are people throughout generations that have done it this way by being their own bank. Instead of going to a bank to do this, they basically just give themselves their own money. Yes, you pay a loan rate on the interest the, of the loan, but your money also, the cash that's in there doesn't stop growing. Mm -hmm. So then as you sell or that property cash flows or the business fits back money, you can pay yourself back on the loan and the money keeps snowballing. So right. uh, that's kind of how you can look at it and view it. And that's not the only way to use permanent insurance. And I say that just because it can be an, an incredible, like when we work with people that are kind of approaching retirement and once again have different problems than somebody mm -hmm. who's 45 just starting out does, mm -hmm. it can be a great estate planning tool using whole life just to pay tax liability when somebody dies, right? Death of the first spouse. When we talk about strategies, this is this, so this is one of my favorite things. Like so many people, once they, you know, they're 60 or 65, they've seen the world, right? They, they have it all figured out. And they come into the office and they have the term insurance. So they're like, oh, I can self-insure. I don't need it anymore. And right. I say, exactly, you don't need it. But here's why you might want it, right? And I tell them three problems that are going to face them down the road if they make some changes. And they go, oh, yeah, I want it. And that's the reason why the people, not only you talked about the banks having insurance, the people that have the most life insurance in the country are the richest people in the, in the world, Right. right. And it's not because they need it. Absolutely. They don't need the money, but they want it because of the efficiency and what it does for their portfolio. Right. So that's just where when you think outside the box, it's not just, hey, I die and it's a death benefit and it covers my family. Mm -hmm. You use it for the leverage. You use it for the tax efficiency. You use it for the problems that it can help you solve. I love that, man. That's such good perspective. The whole life deal is, I mean, it's wild. You have this money sitting here. Like if I have a 401k, I can take out a loan from my 401k, but that money actually comes out of my 401k until I slowly pay it back. And I also pay double tax because I'm, you know, I'm basically replacing yeah, you've been pushing my, the 401k thing. Uh, oh man, uh, it's been grinding my gears. I think I made a incorrect, so I'll correct myself. I, I made a comment, which I didn't necessarily mean per se, but I said, it's almost better to withdraw from your 401k and then just put it back in later. But that's not yeah. true. I would put it in another vehicle, then put it back on my 401k. But yeah. um, 
you know, essentially you're withdrawing money that's pre-tax, you're paying tax on it and paying tax on the interest that you're paying back to yourself and putting it back in. So you got more money that's been taxed now in your 401k that one day later, you're going to pull out. And that whole time you're paying it back, it's not in there growing. And so with, with the, the becoming your own bank, I've got my money sitting here. I leverage this as collateral. Yeah. The insurance company gives me a loan, but this money never never stops compound interest growing. Yeah, for sure. While I pay simple interest over here. So I essentially this is going to make more on the compound interest than the simple interest I'm paying. So I essentially I'm not even going to pay interest at all. I'm still making money as I pay back yeah. that loan. Or if I don't pay it back, then it's just going to come out of the the death benefit or the or the cash value later on when I die before right. before it gets paid off, right? So Exactly. And and yeah, I can so go I do other investments, rental properties, whatever, right? Exactly, right. Um, and to your point, you kind of mentioned on the taxation side of the four hundred one k, and I know we'll we'll talk about other topics. Um, but to kind of branch off the insurance, when you talk about taxation and stuff, when you break out, one of my favorite things I I can't remember who said this, but I should give them credit for it. Like when you look at our tax code, which is far too complex, I, right. I believe. I think we could simplify it a lot, but there's something like. 50 pages of the tax code that tell you how to pay your taxes. And then there's like thousands of pages that tell you how not to pay your taxes, essentially. (laughs) Well, well, and and just the deductions you can take and and everything. So a lot of those are available once you break outside of the realm of just kind of working the W-2 job, um, money in the 401k. Once you branch out, into having a side business, being a business owner, creating income for yourself. You have different schedules on the tax return. That's when things open up and you just have all these opportunities of ways to have different tax strategies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So once again, just kind of breaking out of that system that's been in place, that's kind of taught to us in school and in the traditional way of doing things. Well, that's when the doors open and the eyes are widened. And it's like, oh, there's all these opportunities out there, things to do. 100% man. This is good stuff. We're going a little long, Andrew. We could talk all day. We're going to have to have you back on because there's too many topics to cover on this. Maybe we'll do Absolutely. a webinar one of these days. Yeah. So oh, I'm in. I'm in. Um, and, and let me just say, kind of to wrap it up, um, we talked about this before. I know we talked a lot about like the insurance stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that in and of itself is, is a great tool and a great vehicle. And you'll hear a lot of different opinions about it. Um, but that is just one thing, right? And you just hit on this. We could seriously have a webinar and a session like this, we could do an hour on so many different topics just in and of themselves. And that's one of the reasons the advice is so important just because there are a lot of different things to talk about and a lot of things to do. So if there is one thing to kind of take from this, we talked about some great principles of kind of where to start and definitely a foundation to lay. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, as you're thinking a little more complex or if you are, you do have a bigger income or a bigger net worth, and you're looking for kind of just what am I, what should I think about? What are problems that I'm not aware of? What are strategies I'm not aware of? Mm-hmm. Do seek out that, that trusted source of guidance and, and seek out, there are, you know, I know, like I said, I've tried to kind of create with our business here, a different unique experience, but right. I've actually leaned on, I mean, there's podcasts that I listen to of other advisors that do the same. So there's a lot of people around the country that are not, you know, to use the words that you use, just peddling the insurance products. And it's not just insurance, that are just money managers, right? I see a lot of people that just take 500,000 from a 401k and they just manage the money. That's not bad, that can have a great role. But to have somebody that maybe does all that, but more than that, 
presents strategies, presents ideas, helps you solve problems, and is a trusted source of advice in doing that, that to mm-hmm. me is far more valuable and something that you should look for in the advisor. 100%. That's absolutely fantastic advice, Andrew. Thanks for coming on, cuz. Before you go, I, I got to ask you the final question. Actually, I'm going to ask you two questions because one of these I think is is kind of a cool thing. So I have know, literally no idea what's coming right now. So, <laughs> Well, I'll ask you one question, then I got my final question I asked okay. pretty much everybody. But um, the Roth IRA. Yeah. Awesome thing. Yeah. Most people should do it. Max it out if you can. Some people make yeah. too much money. What the heck yeah. is a backdoor Roth IRA? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, so the Roth IRA from like the, the coaching and baseline standpoint, the Roth is a vehicle that you put money in now, it's taxed, okay? So you're going to pay taxes on the money. When you contribute to like your 401k or traditional IRAs, you're getting a deduction on that, right? So if you make $100,000 and you put money in, it's going to lower your taxable income. On the Roth, that is not the case. You're going to pay tax on it now, and then you're going to put money in. So you talked about maxing it out for 2022, which you can still max out a Roth if you want to up until tax day this year, April 18th, I believe it is. Um, you can put 6000 in there um, per taxpayer. So if you're married, you can do it and your spouse can do it. So 12000 combined. And if you're over 50, you can do an extra 1000 For 2023, it went up to 6500 Okay. So it's going to go in and then you can pick how you invest it, right? Stocks, bonds, mutual funds. There's a lot of different ways. But as it grows, when you take it out down the road, uh, when you're retired, it's all tax-free. So simply, if you put $6,000 in and it grows to $6 million, it's all tax-free. So that's why it's an incredibly powerful tax tool. Now, to your question, you say, well, why would not everybody do that? Well, there are rules on it. One, you can only put 6500 in, um, but you can also make too much money, right? So there's an income cap on it. It's a different cap depending on whether you're a single filer, married filing jointly, right? So work with a tax advisor on that and work with an advisor to figure out where you are. But the the kind of the strategy you discussed is not often talked about. And the reason why is it's it's a very smaller niche of people that this strategy applies to. So if you make too much money, which, you know, the income cap isn't out of this world. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there aren't a lot of people in this world that make enough money to max or to over cap over a Roth IRA limit. So yeah, top 5%, right? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. So once you do that, you also don't want to have any other IRA money in the picture, right? So let's say you left a job years ago and you have 200,000 in an IRA somewhere. This wouldn't be a strategy you really want to do because there's something called the pro rata rule that if you look at this backdoor Roth IRA confusion, uh, conversion, it can just it, it causes a lot of tax problems and, and a, t- a good tax advisor could tell you those problems. But the reason why. So there are just a lot of people that especially once you make that much money in your career, mm-hmm. usually you might have had a job or two unless you have an IRA or something to roll over. So what you do, though, if, if that applies to you and you don't have any IRA money and you make too much money, you can contribute. It's called a backdoor Roth IRA. Okay, You contribute to a traditional IRA. So pre-tax. Okay. Normally, when you do that, you're wanting it for the tax deduction, okay? Mm -hmm. But all you're going to do is make a non-deductible contribution, so you're not going to take the tax deduction. Mm -hmm. The right way to do it, just put it in. If you, it's best to do it one time just to knock it out. So put sixty-five hundred in in twenty twenty-three, and then just have it in a money market account so that it doesn't grow or shrink in one day as the market moves, right? 
And then the next day, you also have a Roth IRA over here that might have a zero dollar balance. And you're just going to do a Roth conversion on it. Um, so it's kind of just an indirect, right? You contribute to a Roth IRA this way. You're doing the backdoor route by just kind of veering off one step. Interesting. Um, it's a totally legal thing to do. It's just not yeah. well known. So. That's so good. Another, uh, I love that strategy. It's something I've, we've been talking a lot about actually. And uh, another strategy for you folks is if you pay your children to work for your business, if you're a business owner, you can actually pay your children tax-free up to like 12 grand a year or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then in theory, you could open your child a Roth IRA yep. and contribute so, you know, max out the Roth IRA and potentially even fund life insurance for your 100%, 100%. child from that. So, so it's like double avoiding tax. 100%. Another so interesting again, when strategy. You to, when you get to the strategies that are available to business owners right. and people that just have side income, it doesn't even have to be like, you might not think of yourself as a business owner, but if you have some hobby or something that you can somewhat monetize to create side income for yourself, then now the tax code opens up. You could just be a sole proprietor doing that stuff. But yes, if you hired your child and paid them, anybody that can fund a Roth IRA, you just need to have some reportable earned income. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, they could be five years old. You hire them to you know, do photo shoots and gear for your company or something. However, you work with a tax advisor to structure it. Right. You could pay them up to 12 or 13,000, whatever the cap is, like you said. And yeah, you could put 6,000, 6,500 into a Roth IRA for them each year. You could fund life insurance. You could do a variety of things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. A great, great strategy to look into. Andrew, like, like we said, we could talk all night. I got to ask you the final Literally. question before we go, go follow Andrew, Andrew Ferking, F-R-E-R-K-I-N-G on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all the socials, Twitter, probably your tweeter. Do you tweet? I'm a tweeter. Yeah. You blue check tweeter? Uh, no, uh, me either, man. I've, I, dude, I never got on Twitter. I never got into what? it. Now I'm like, oh, everybody's on so it. Good. I'm like, come on. It's so good. I know. It's like the news, apparently. It, it really, that, that is the news. Yeah. That's where I get it. hundred percent. Hey, uh, so last question. When I started GLE, one of the concepts was I thought it'd be super cool to be able to watch old conversations of like our great, great, great grandparents years ago talking with yeah. cool people. And I'm like, all I have is like one picture of them or like an old VHS tape. And now we've got so much technology and our kids are going to have like 40,000 pictures of themselves and be the biggest narcissists ever probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, I thought it'd be cool. Like what, wouldn't the next generation love to see what the heck we were talking about hundred yeah. years ago. So, you know, with that perspective in mind, not knowing who might see this someday, Andrew, yeah. what would you want to leave the future world with today? Yeah. Um, one, I, I love that. And that is so true. Um, and it's, it's kind of weird thinking about this. Somebody might be watching this like 75 years from now, looking at me, heck, I might be watching it when I'm 80, looking back at what we're doing. So, right. um, but I think, and, and I am not the best at this, right. I still wrestle with this, but I see so many people. One of the things I, I told you about this before we got on, Phil, but I, I recently started a group that I kind of put together and spearheaded it because I've been thinking for a while, just having, having a, a business and a venture that is, is entrepreneurial, is taking risks, right? Is, is not being guaranteed anything, not having, you know, a set salary that, and I've had friends that from the minute we got out of school, they might've had great money and had good jobs and they might be perfectly happy. That's not wrong in and of itself. Right. But there are certain people 
that take risks. And with that, there are no guarantees, but mm -hmm. there is upside, there's freedom, there's challenge, there is, it is fun. Um, and for everybody, it might not be fun, but taking those risks is something that I enjoy. And in doing that, there are different problems, there are different stresses, there are different things that you deal with. So I put together a group of people that I've just known. And, and most of the people in the group, I didn't know because there were a couple of people I started it with and they invited other business owners and entrepreneurs all around our age. Um, and people that you can just come and, and have a casual conversation, have a drink and say, Hey, what are, we go through these things together. How are you wrestling with them? How, when you hire people or fire people or, you know, yeah, you're worried about making payroll or whatever the problem is, you can share transparently. My advice in that would be, do that like as we talk about wealth building and stuff um we have this conversation like if you could guarantee me um that i would make you know three hundred thousand, or you know i could make maybe a little less but i'm doing something that i love and i have the time freedom to do the stuff that i want with my family and run a business and, and create value and see all those things for people like i do that in a heartbeat and right. so don't just it's not a knock on on so many like if you love your job it's not a knock on that but i am passionate about seeing people that take risks that especially when you're young right if you don't have a family and kids it's easier to do it then than it is when right. you're married and have kids 100% take those risks and like i said i'm not good at it right i still fail and, and wrestle with things um but just take risks start a business mess up fail um, work your tail off, right? Get up early, stay late. That's one of the things we talked about the group, like the nine to five, right? right? You don't have a nine to five. And people are often like, oh, you know, you play a lot of golf. You're always traveling. And it's like, well, yeah, you don't see that I got to the office at 6 a.m. and I left at 2 a.m. because I had a lot on my plate and I'm always two weeks behind doing stuff, right? right like right. most people just don't have to deal with that stuff. And but the benefit of what it affords me is I have time freedom. Since I've started doing this, if if you're like, hey, let's take a golf trip, I'm like, all right, tell me when you want to go. And I have buddies that might make more money, but they're like, oh, I have two vacation days left, right? right. So it's the good and the bad, and I would much rather have this side. Um, and I would just challenge people to consider that. And once again, like so much of the things with the money, just think outside of the box and kind of say, look, you might be happy. But is there something else? Is there something else than kind of the status quo of how you're supposed to do things? I love that. That's such good advice. One of the big things is learning the rules of the game. And if you want to learn the rules, go reach out to somebody like Andrew. Learn the rules. Figure out how to play. Life's just, you know, there's no practice life. It's a big game. And we're all playing it, whether we want to admit it or not. And you're right on, Andrew. It's way easier to take risks when you're young and single. <laughs> then before you're married and have kids. So, yes. you know, I think that's also one of the real sad things about society is just, you know, that we send kids off to college and, and that's all good. And maybe you can learn some stuff. I don't know, but like that's in the prime of their life when they could be out taking oh. all sorts of risk and, right. and really have no very limited downside. Right. I mean, they're basically yeah. back to where they started. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And then yeah. once, you know, once you get out, it's harder and harder because you, you know, you reach a certain level of lifestyle, you have a wife, you got a kid, it, it becomes harder, man. So that's, that is such good advice, Andrew, Andrew cousin. I love you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate love it. Too, man. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Like I said, hopefully, you know, if you want me back, I'll be back sometime and we can talk about a bunch of different concepts. So heck yeah. We'll have to have a financial overview part two with Andrew. Hey, man. Love you, man. 
All right, y'all. Y'all have a great day. Hope you got some value out of this. If you did, share the show and make sure you go lead everything. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go. Go.